Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, howdy. All right, we are getting through some technical difficulties. Thank you guys for your patience this morning. Hey, if you have a Bible, jump to Philippians chapter one. Uh, Lights will be coming up shortly and you can flip there and see that quickly. So Philippians chapter one, starting verse one, we are starting a new series this part of the semester. Trey jumped in and talked about some life after college stuff. I hope uh, that was helpful for you guys as you think about career choices and where you're going to go next. Um, Now we are going to take a bit of a turn and we're going to look at the book of Philippians over the next about seven weeks. We're going to look at the book of Philippians and here's why. The book of Philippians is very helpful in helping us to figure out not only what we're here to do, but how we can do it together. And I'm going to read a little bit for us out of chapter one, uh, pray for us, and then we will jump in. Philippians chapter one, starting in verse one, Paul writes this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Will you pray with me one more time? Lord, thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for this book, um, this hopeful book, this, this joyful book that you, that you wrote through the pen of Paul, but more than just the pen of Paul, you inspired by the power of your spirit to instruct us, to, to guide us into what it looks like to be a church on your mission, people that are connected together intimately and are here to make a great contribution. So Lord, I pray that as we, as we open you, your word, you would open our hearts to hear from you, that we might connect with you and move your mission forward in the world. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, there are two themes that every movie and every book traces that never lose their luster. The first theme is this, love. Lo- that every movie you see every story is told there is a theme of love woven through that through that but not only love there's also um purpose see they want to have movies that have a connection and have you make a contribution you're like kevin i don't know what you're talking about i know what you mean but let me just trace it back to your time in junior high to those movies that you loved at that time in your life one of them was this transformers Mm -hmm. blast from the past really compelling film 
well-acted, well-directed, pretty much um, the epitome of a phenomenal film. If you can't uh, hear my sarcasm, let me lay it on a little thicker. Uh, This movie was so inspiring in multiple ways. Not only did it have Transformers from outer space coming to Earth to attack the Earth, you had another group of Transformers there to defend planet Earth from the destruction that would ensue. I mean, pretty much the premise for any great movie. But how do you take this movie to the next level? How do you take Transformers and make it even better? Well, you can kind of see it if you look closely. There's, there's a little bit of love going on right in there. So what do you need a move to add to a movie with great impact? You need a forced-in loved interest, right? Megan Fox and, uh, and Samuel Witwiggy, right? So uh, <laughs> Shia LaBeouf. All right, and of course, you know this guy could pull this off, right? I mean, because this just makes sense. What, what could bring a movie about Transformers and intergalactic war to the next level? A love interest, right? And you, and you watch this play out and it feels so forced and so weird. If you haven't watched it in over a decade, that's fine. Go back and relive it, uh, watch it on TNT or something. Go back and relive that time. Watch that movie and you're like, Why did they put this in here? Because the movie makers know if they want to grab a larger audience, they want to unite impact and intimacy, connection and contribution. They want to put them together to make it that much better. But you're like, Kevin, come on, every movie isn't that way. Well, let's just look at one of the, a a lot of favorites, Lord of the Rings, right? Great movie. I mean, phenomenal movie about a story, about a a group of people coming together, making an incredible impact in the world. I mean, it's, it's one of the best movies ever made, one of the best series. If you need to watch, I don't know, 35 hours of film, you can, you can watch The Lord of the Rings and all the extended editions. Um, and you're like, Kevin, but where's the forced in love interest? I mean, Aragorn, of course he was going to marry that girl. I mean, that, that was going to happen. But, but what surprised me was this moment in the movie with Samwise Gamgee. I mean, the epitome of like the perfect friend, right? The guy that was going to be with him through thick and thin. And, and I think it was in the fourth ending of the movie. You know, the, in, the movie never really ended. It was like one ending, two endings, three endings, like wrapping up every little bow they could. And, and they needed to have Sam with an appropriate end to his life. And so what did he do at the very end of the film? He got with the waitress, right? Like Samwise got the girl too. They put intimacy even in that moment. He had great impact. But what was missing was this key of intimacy. And the reason Hollywood does this, the reason our films do this, is they know this simple fact. You want these two things in life. You want to find love, and you want to make a contribution. You want to find connection, and you want to make an impact. Every single one of us wants our life to matter, but not just matter alone. You want to have someone to do it alongside with. You want to have a connection that's intimate and powerful. And the reason I start there is because that's what we see Paul find and talk about in this letter. He talks about deep community, deep connection, and deep contribution, deep impact. And the reason those themes are so strong is because that's what you're made for. In our first four weeks of the semester, what we tried to talk about was the starting point. How do you start this semester well? How do you jump into this community and and find your fit? How do you find your place here? And the next step along the journey isn't just to know, I have a place, but you need to know you have a place where you're landed to make an impact, to make a contribution. And I love the book of Philippians because it shows us just that. How do you have more than just a people? How do you have a purpose in your life? Now, if you're wondering where 
this book came about? Well, it was written by Paul to the church at Philippi. It's a city. It, the city is, is uh, located along the Via Ignatia. It's one of the major traveling routes um, from traveling from one destination to another on one of, many of the trade routes. So it's a major metropolitan city. And Paul first started the church there at about AD 50. It was the first time he went to Philippi. And you can see his journey in Acts chapter 16. He went there a couple other times. And this letter is written probably around AD 55 or AD 56 while Paul is in prison. And what we see in this letter at this first part, these first 11 verses is this. We see a deep connection. We see people united toward a great cause. And we see how we can continue to make a great contribution. The first thing we see is this, the deep connection that he has with these people. He writes it in verse three. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, I'm writing you because you are always on my mind. You are always right there, something I'm always thinking about. And he says, because you have, we have this tremendous connection together and you're created for connection. Whether you realize it or not, your, your success as a student is largely based on your ability to feel connected. One college student, uh, a woman named Marina Keegan writes this, we don't have a word for the opposite of loneliness, but if we did, I could say that that's what I want in life, the opposite of being alone. See, if you feel alone, it affects you in dramatic ways. One professor, George Walton, writes this, isolation, loneliness, and low social status can harm a person's subjective sense of well-being, as well as his or her's intellectual achievement, immune function, and health. Do you hear that? It can affect the way that you think, and it can affect even your health. He says, research shows that even a single instance of exclusion can undermine your well-being, your IQ test score, and your performance and self-control. If you feel excluded, if you don't feel like you have a place to belong, you will get lower grades, you will perform more poorly on tests, and you will get sick. Isn't that crazy? He goes on to write this. If you don't feel like you belong, you are both less motivated and less likely to hang in there in the face of obstacles. We need to feel connected. And that's what Paul writes. He says, look, I, I feel connected to you. And he says, because of this, because of your partnership in the gospel. The word partnership there is the word koinonia. It's where we get our word coin. What it means is this, common because your common connection centered on the gospel. Well, how did Paul meet these people? We see in Acts chapter 16, and it was a unlikely connection of individuals. The first person we see of the church is a woman named Lydia. She was a, uh, a purple cloth saleswoman. She was a businesswoman. And she was meeting with a group of people and they were praying together. She was a God-fearer. And Paul went to her, presented the gospel, and immediately she came to faith. And not too much further in Acts chapter 16, you see that he meets another girl, the next member of the church. And it was a girl who was demon-possessed. 
And he goes to the girl, cast out the demon. That caused some problems because the people that were using this young girl were making money off of her. They're profiting from her. He heals her and she's freed from this demon. And immediately he goes to prison. But Paul's not done yet. He got Lydia on his side. He's got this girl on his side. And then he goes and sits in prison. And when he's there with Silas in prison, they're singing praise songs. I don't know what you would do in prison, but you're probably not singing praise songs like, oh, praise the one who paid my debt and could free me from the prison. Like, what, what would you do if you were in prison? Well, he and Silas are singing praise songs to Jesus. And suddenly an earthquake hits, people are going crazy. And the Philippian jailer says, there's something different about you men. And he comes to faith. So we have a businesswoman. We have a girl who was possessed by a demon. We have a jailer. And one commentator writes of this little motley crew, these early converts were the most diverse and unlikely group with which to be found in a local church. But the grace of God overcame all other differences. He, we see this immediate connection in this church of Philippi, and they weren't all the same type of people. There are a variety of people. And I don't know what you think when you come into this place, but you might think that everyone here has the same background, the same type of parents, the same type of business that they're wanting to do. But, but we all know there is tremendous diversity at Texas A&M. There are people from a variety of places with a variety of goals. And, and this church at Grace Bible Church, there are a variety of people from a variety of places. And it's that diversity that God is trying to build connection. And the way that he does it in the church of Philippi is the same way I hope he does it here. There's two pieces that, that, is built, that is built in this church that is built in our church if we let it. The first one is this, is that they're authentic. And secondly, they're intimate. The first thing we see is that they're authentic. You see what Paul says to them? He says, I am affectionately desirous of you. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer, making my prayer with joy. He authentically talks about how he feels when he sees them. Do you do that with your friends? I mean, can you imagine a bunch of guys getting together and be like, every time I pray for you, my joy in my heart and all of my remembrance of you, Luke, is, is absolutely, like, I mean, can you imagine like saying that to a friend I'll tell you what, people that are deeply connected in Christ-centered community feel comfortable saying that. They say, I am so glad for you. And I think about you. I pray for you. But not is he only authentic as in emotions. He's authentic about where he is. He says that he's in prison. I mean, I don't know what facade you want to put forward, you know, what face you want to have out there about you, but you probably don't want your prison record to be out there, you know, front and center, Right? You probably don't want those dark corners to be out there front and center for everyone to see, but Paul doesn't hide it. It's like in verse five or seven in this chapter, he says, look, you've been with me through all of my trials, like prison trials in front of judges, every one of those, you've been right there with me. And he authentically says, this is who I am. And I thank you that you've stood with me through all of this, but not only that he's authentic, it's intimate. He says, in all my remembrance of you, in verse seven, he says, I have you in my heart. The heart is that deep seat of emotions, that most intimate part of you. And he says, I have you in my heart. He is authentic and the relationship is intimate. 
there's one movie that, that plays this out well. And uh, it's an older movie, so you probably haven't seen it, but it's the movie called Goodwill Hunting. Oh, one or two of you. Yeah, that's good. Well, in the movie, it's, it's about a, a guy who, who has all these problems. He's a genius, but he has all these problems in his past that inhibit him from, from finding love and from making a meaningful contribution. And finally, he gets hooked up with this um, psychologist, a guy, a guy who was trying to help him work through this, and it was played by Robin Williams. And as, as they're interacting with one another, they realize that they have a lot of pain that they share in their past, a lot of brokenness that they've both lived through. And as they're kind of talking one moment, Robin Williams opens up about his marriage, about his wife who had passed away previously. He starts sharing stories about her. And one story he shares, he says, yeah, my, my wife um, had a gas problem. And at night, she would fart so loud, she would wake herself up. And he's like, and I didn't have the heart to tell her that it was her, and so I just took the blame. And, and so immediately in that moment, these two men just start laughing. I mean, laughing to the point of crying. They're laughing so hard at this moment. And, and, and you see Matt Damon going like, and, and you, you couldn't tell her? Like, she would fart that loud. And, and they're laughing. And then Robin Williams stops it right there, and he says, he says, some people think about those moments as flaws. Those aren't flaws. That's the good stuff. And she had all of, everything on me. And what you saw in that perfect picture as he was describing it is, is authenticity and intimacy. You see me for all of my flaws, yet you still love me. And that is the type of community that Paul is a part of. They see all of his brokenness, yet they still love him. That is the type of community we want here to be fully known, to know one another. And if you come in here with a perfect presentation of who you are, that perfect picture of who you want to be, that perfect Instagram shot, I'll tell you what, you're not going to like it here because we're going to ask you about you and the simple phenomenal, great, fine, isn't really enough. And if you look deep into your heart, you want more than that. You want more than just people that know the, the best version of you. You want, to know, you want people that know you deeply and intimately. And that is the community that we want to build. But not merely a community with great connection. Paul goes on in this section to say, we want something more. We want this community that's built, has a great connection, that's authentic and intimate. We want them to be part of a great mission. We want those people to embrace a great cause. And that's what he goes on to say in verse 6. He says this, and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see that connection woven all the way through this, but you also see his cause. He calls them for, to something greater. And I'll tell you this, you need a life, not just with great relationships, but a life lived with purpose, a life that's lived going somewhere. And, you, and we all know this is true. You need purpose in life. Medical um, professionals have, have seen this. In one article in The Atlantic, it writes this, for the past decade, this nonprofit has paired people ages 55 and older with students in kindergarten through third grade who need academic help. 
Across 19 U.S. cities, volunteers have taken up literacy coaching and proven that in their spare time, they can significantly increase students' test scores and morale. And so they, these people that are 55 plus, kind of retirees, have made a positive impact on students. That's great. Which is great, of course, the article goes on. But the unexpected side effect of the programs was that the adults experienced significant health improvements, both mental and physical. The tutor's rates of depression fell, their physical mobility and stamina and flexibility increased. I don't know why their flexibility increased. They're like, can you do the sit and reach? Can you stretch further now that you've been hanging out with kids? But apparently. And they also showed improvements in executing the functions of memory. See, these people that were in the, the twilight of their life, they retired. They all of a sudden paired them with kids. And what they found is when they made meaningful contributions, when they helped these students learn, suddenly they improved their own life improved, their own life value improved. They got to be more flexible. They could do the sit and reach better, whatever. You know, like they got to be better people. You know what's fascinating though? I read another article about executives from the Harvard Business Review. And the article wrote this. Although we know people need to have a purpose, despite this understanding, a big challenge remains. In our training of thousands of managers at organizations from GE to Girl Scouts, right? GE to Girl, very different people. And teaching the equal number of executives and students at the Harvard Business School, we have found that fewer than 20% of leaders have a strong sense of their own individual purpose. So they look at leaders across the board, whether they're at GE, whether it's at the Harvard Business School, whether or not they're training like Girl Scouts. So whatever their leadership is, they looked at these variety of people. And what they found is fewer than 20% have a strong sense of purpose, meaning 80 plus people, 80% of the population of leaders don't know what they're doing with their life. <laughs> they don't know. They don't know the impact they're supposed to make. They're not, they don't know the contribution they're supposed to have. They literally do not know. And they could, they could cite basic ideas. I want to ensure the betterment of society. You know, they would, they would have like these pontifications that weren't clear as to what you were trying to do in the world. They didn't have a cause that was fueling their existence. And I'll tell you what, many of you in college are suffering from the same problem. And your hope is that once I graduate, once I enter in that career, all of those stars will align for me. Once I find that job or once I find that spouse, everything will make sense. And I'll tell you what, that job and that spouse will not give you meaning in life. They will not give you lasting meaning in life. There is only one cause that gives meaning for your life and the rest of eternity. And that is the cause of Christ. And that's what Paul says. He says, I'm sure of this, verse six, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. The thing about this cause that Paul is talking about is first, it's unstoppable. He says, I'm sure that he who began a good work will carry it out. And at one level, there's an internal part of this. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are saved. And there is nothing you can do to lose your salvation. And there is nothing you can do that makes God go, oh man, that girl's amazing. I didn't see that coming. Like there's nothing you can do to up your meter in God's eyes and nothing you can do that would diminish you in God's eyes. You are saved, not based on your performance, 
but against, based on his selection. And this should give you such confidence. God loves you on your best day and your worst day. And there's nothing you can do that would make God go, that was a mistake. <laughs> he loves you. It's unstoppable, not merely in his work in you, but secondly, his work through you. The gospel through these people will not stop. It will continue on. God will keep on spreading his gospel to the world. But not only is it unstoppable, secondly, it's universal. Verse seven says it this way. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart and you are partakers of grace with me, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Isn't that interesting? He says, you're partakers of grace with me. You get to celebrate what I get to be a part of. Do you know that? If you are part of the mission of God, their wins are your wins. I love supporting missionaries overseas because missionaries overseas get to go do what I can't do, which is meet these people, share the gospel in these places. They get to do what I can't do. And you know what I get to celebrate? Their success, their wins. I get to celebrate that I'm a part of this universal mission, but not only that, you have a part. And so for the Philippians, their part was right there in Philippi to continue to spread the gospel and talk to more people. For you, I don't know what your great contribution is, but I'll tell you this, every other thing you chase will fade. How how many of you played high school sports? How many of you are playing college sports? Hmm. Mm. there's a couple of you, but you don't want, want to raise your hand, but there's a couple of you. Now, those high school sports that you did, you were phenomenal at. I mean, you were 1A state champion, and you were the best, right? <laughs> but unfortunately, your skills at that level did not transfer to the next level, right? And so your contribution on the football field, as loud as you were this weekend... As much as you yelled, and some of you, you, you helped them burn a, a play or two because they couldn't hear anything despite your loud yell. So that was awesome. You contributed. Yeah, you did. But I hate to break it to you. You're not the 12th man. Like, like uh, hey, 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 hey. If, if, if every player went down, like every single one, like there was a mass, I don't know, electromagnetic pulse and it knocked out all the players. And they're like, oh, someone's got to suit up. They wouldn't pick you. <laughs> and I know that's defeating for many of you, right? Because you don't possess, they wouldn't pick me. I'm not, not just you, they wouldn't pick me. Why? Because I don't have the skills to contribute at that level. And I'll tell you what, so many things in life, you are great and you are the 12th man, okay, but there's so many things in life that you ultimately can't contribute because, because you don't have the skills, you don't have the abilities to contribute at that level. And I'll tell you what, this piece though, the gospel is universal. We need you to be a part, to contribute, not merely financially, but through your prayers, through physically being there, for engaging in people's lives. Every person can play a part. It's unstoppable. It's universal. And thirdly, it's unifying. He says this in verse eight. He says, I have you in my heart. In verse eight, he says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. 
It's unifying. See, when you get people surrounded with one mission and one direction, it is so unifying, and people want that. Sebastian Junger was an author, and he wrote a book called Tribes. And he laments the fact that there was no greater thing for him and his people to chase. He writes this, The sheer predictability of life in American suburbs left me hoping, somewhat irresponsibly, for a hurricane or a tornado or something that would require us all to band together to survive. Something that would make us feel like a tribe. What I, wasn't, what I wanted wasn't the destruction and mayhem, but the opposite, solidarity. I wanted a chance to prove my worth to my community and my peers, but I lived in a time and a place where nothing dangerous ever really happened. Surely this was new in the human experience, I thought. How do you become an adult in a society that doesn't ask for sacrifice? I loved reading that because I'm going, he's wanting to give his life towards something, some great cause, some great sacrifice, something that would require all of them, something that would require all of us. I want to give myself for something bigger. And his solution is make a tribe. But, but I'm telling you, there is something that we're a part of that needs all of us. And it's the cause of Christ that we could be people that spread this gospel and we know it's going to win. We know the world needs it. We know it can change everything, but it needs us to connect together, to be people that see this mission and unite our lives to it. And thirdly, that you would know how you can make a meaningful contribution. Verse nine, he says it this way. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, fulfilled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I love this pivot. I love this pivot that he makes to a contribution. And and it's very interesting what he's asked for. His prayer wasn't that you would go tackle someone. His prayer wasn't that you would go write a paper. His prayer wasn't that you would go march across something, although those could all be beneficial things to do. Maybe not the tackling, but everything else could be beneficial things for you to engage in. What does he pray for? That their love would grow with more knowledge and discernment. What he prays for is that they would think well about how to spend their time. And the reason he prays for that is because we're not all born geniuses. We're not all born wise. You may be intelligent, but you're not born with wisdom. There's an article by Jerome Kagan in the Atlantic uh, Monthly. And he was a a psychologist who studied uh, children's temperaments. And he came up with, and from his studies, he was a professor at Harvard, about three temperaments that all children have, and they're kind of ingrained. One is the anxious, one is the aggressive, and one is the philosophical. And the reason, or the way they could tell which one you were is how you respond to trial. The anxious child uh, would run away from problems, right? Because all the antenna were out, they would like run. The aggressive child would attack problems, right? Sometimes you just got to grab the bull by the horn, so they would attack problems. The philosophical pro- child would go, no, that's not really a problem. 
And so what they would do is they would stick these people in different scenarios to see what, what was their natural temperament. And what they came to realize is none of them are wise because in two out of the three scenarios, they would respond the wrong way. So the anxious child, they would be perfect in highly dangerous situations. So when uh, the snake is there, when some danger is there, their response is the most appropriate, run, right? The aggressive person would have more fun, but they wouldn't live long, right? The aggressive child thrived most in moderately dangerous situations because sometimes it's better to take the bull by the horns, right? It's not sometimes dive through the wave. Don't just wait for the wave to hit you. Sometimes it's better to attack, not just wait. But they wouldn't survive in the safe situations. But in the last situation, in in, in easy, comfortable situations, the philosophical child would be the best. They would just kind of wait and, and move along appropriately, and they would take in the stimuli and respond slowly. And they were the best in safe situations. But stick an anxious child in a safe situation, they blow it up. They're like, uh, 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 safe, you know, and they, so they freak out. So no response was wise. And what, what Kagan goes on to write to say is this, not one situation needs a, a particular person to engage in it. You have to be trained in how to engage appropriately in each different scenario. See, no one's born wise. It's got to be trained. And what Paul is saying is this. I pray that your love, your heart, would love the right things. That it would have knowledge and discernment. Knowledge is this, that you would know the right information. Discernment is this. You would have the right understanding so that you could approve what is excellent, meaning that you would make the best decisions. And I love that because faith isn't primarily about blind leaps. Faith isn't merely going, don't you just believe, just trust, just just jump off that cliff for Jesus. No, that's not wisdom. What Paul prays for is I want you to be connected with a great community. I want you to be united in the cause of Christ. And then I want a third piece for you. I want you to pray for wisdom and discernment that you would love the things that God loves, that you would cherish the things that God cherishes. We'll talk about what to do later, but the first thing to fix is right here in your heart. Do you love the things that God loves? Are you behind the things that God's behind? And are you willing to dedicate your life and your heart to the people of God and the cause of Christ that we might move this mission forward. And that's what I want to leave you with. Where's your heart? Do you love the things that God loves? Are you discerning the things that God discerns? As you interact in your major, as you interact with your roommates, as you think about your future, are you saying, my heart loves the things that God loves and is united with him and his mission. As we go on to the book of Philippians, we're going to talk about how to build up one another, how to be united together. But if we miss the heart, we miss the foundation of the starting point for a life of faith. So how's your heart? We pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I know that that so many of us here, we want to make a meaningful contribution. That we want to be people, men and women, that, that live a life that matters. 
that live a life that makes an impact beyond our days. And Lord, I know there is so much hope and, and, and desire to see great things happen. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts that are aligned with yours, that we wouldn't run off on our own, but we would run together as we build deep community. You would help us to see how we can make a great contribution. And in everything, our hearts would be aligned with yours so that we would do the things you most love and the things that are most important. I lift up these students to you. I pray for their discussion and I pray that we might be united behind you. And you hear me pray, amen. Y'all have a great discussion. Thank you.